Good to be with you here this morning on this Remembrance Sunday uh, as we gather together to, to remember those who have served and given the ultimate sacrifice for so many of us uh, and to offer our praise and thanksgiving to, to God above. We come together to offer to Almighty God our worship and praise and thanksgiving, to draw near to the throne of God in penitence and humility, to hear his proclamation of justice and righteousness, to remember those who participated in the war from our parish and from our city, to pray for all those who continue to serve in our armed forces, and to pray that in the power of his spirit we may serve him in the pursuit of his heavenly realm. Psalm 46 reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. I lift my eyes up to the hills from whence will my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Isaiah 40 reminds us that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And finally, Micah 6 asks us, what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, today's reading comes from the book of Acts. It's chapter 9, beginning to read at verse 1, the story of the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here 
with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, that is Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here ends today's reading. Thank you, Derek. Um, there is a wee road at the back. If you ever think you would like to read um, in church, whether that's reading in person or being it pre-recorded and put on the screens, um, there is a wee road at the back where you can put your name on or have a wee word with myself um, and we'll, we'll get that sorted. Anyway, but thank you, Derek, for that today. We continue this series of Dangerous Faith as we carry on from our harvest themes. Uh, we're partnering with uh, Open Doors, looking at the persecuted church and how Christians and believers are today um, are in fear uh, of their lives. And so far we've thought about the fact that faith is not a logical experience, um, but faith is a lived out experience. Um, faith isn't always logical. It's not always something we can put our fingertips on and we can say, I can explain that. But it is something that whenever we live it out, we can say, I understand faith. I know what faith is and this is how I have been able to have it. We heard that there was promises that we needed to keep, um, promises that we make that sometimes we, we know we want to keep but accidentally we don't keep them, promises that sometimes we make but we don't always keep, uh, but also promises that we know that we need to keep. And we've been urged to, to make promises that we know that we stand by and that we stand on. And we also looked at the fact that whenever we share our faith, it creates a stir in the culture around us. Um, in the first century, whenever uh, we read these passages in the scriptures, it created a stir whenever people talked about Jesus. People were being told to be quiet. Remember the story of Stephen? He was told to be quiet about Jesus, but he wouldn't be quiet, and so it created a great stir. Um, and actually today, in our culture, in the world around us, whenever we share Jesus, it can create a stir. Um, it can create conversations, and it's not always the most, um, it's not always the thing that everybody wants to hear, uh, but we're encouraged and commanded to continue to share Jesus. So before we look at this passage, and today, let's just pray for a moment. Father God, we thank you that you are alive and at work today, that your presence of the Holy Spirit is here with us. And so in our invitation for the Holy Spirit to come, it is not that we don't believe you're not here. We know that you're here, but our invitation is our opening of our hearts and our minds towards you, that your Holy Spirit would open and make alive the words of the pages of your Holy Scripture so that they become transformative in our lives today. So may it be your word and not my words, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage in Acts 9, <clears throat> uh, the conversion of Saul, um, is quite an infamous passage, it's quite a famous passage. Uh, if you've been about church for any length of time, you've probably heard the story of how 
Saul has been um, converted, that blinding, flashing light. Um, verses 1 and 2 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them to be prisoners in Jerusalem. It's quite clear what Saul's intention on his road to Jerusalem uh, actually was. And his road to Damascus actually was um, the road to Jerusalem. There we are. There's the first error that you can tick off um, today. Um, on his road to Damascus, um, his intention was to go to destroy the Christians um, and the church. But in today's culture, and especially in church culture, we talk about a Damascus Road experience. Don't we? We've heard that phrase before, a Damascus Road experience, where something so unbelievable has happened to an individual that their lives are completely turned around. And that's what happened to Saul. That's where that phrase comes from. On his way to kill and destroy the church, God meets him. God stops him in his tracks and he's blinded by a flashing light. Verse 3 says this, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. This was out of the blue stuff. Saul wasn't expecting this. Nor were those people who were traveling with him because as he says in verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood speechless. No words could come out of them. The interesting thing in that moment, and often we focus on the fact that there's a conversion happens, there's a, a blinding light happens, there's a great transformation happens. But whenever that voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, happens, Saul said, who are you, Lord? He instantly understood and knew that the Lord's presence was with him and was meeting him in that moment. This is a out of the blue, stop you in your tracks kind of stuff. And often we've been sold a lie, actually, that that's the only way that God meets with us. And often, actually, as a minister, sometimes I'm implicit in that. Because actually the people that we get to share amazing testimonies and stories at the front of church are the people who have had instantaneous conversions Moments where they have been addicted to something, maybe have been homeless, and all of a sudden something happens. God meets them in that moment, and they're instantaneously transformed. And we love to share those stories. But that's not the only way that God works. In fact, it's normally the lesser way that God works. Because if I was to go around with a roving mic now and begin to ask you in the congregation, when was those moments that you met with Jesus? You're probably going to describe over a period of time, over a journey with the Lord, how at different stages and seasons in your life, God has moved and transformed you. There's going to be a point in your life where you've given your life to Jesus, yes. But there's also going to be moments where that journey takes a period of time. Now in the scriptures, that's called the Emmaus Road, where Jesus walked with the disciples for a period of time before their eyes were opened. And they were able to see him clearly. And so it's not all about the out of the blue, blinding flash of light kind of stuff. And you might be thinking, well, what's he going to say from the passage today? Because that's what the passage is actually 
all about. But it's not. Because we focus on that often in this passage. And the bit that we miss is the bit that comes a little bit later. There is a different way. A much more common way. And we find that in verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him to a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas and straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus called Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Now, it might seem quite simple. Ananias, a disciple in Damascus, was told by God to go and visit Saul. Have you ever asked this question? How do I hear the Lord? How do I know the Lord's voice? Ananias didn't sit up and say, is that you, Lord? He asked a few other questions, and we'll come to that in a moment. But he did not dispute that it was the Lord who was speaking to him in that moment. Because if we read around the story of Ananias, we hear and see that Ananias was a man of great faith was someone who immersed himself in spending time with God. And whenever we immerse ourselves in spending time with God, often that's called our quiet times, time that we read the Scriptures, whenever we pray, whenever we're walking and we're communing with God, whenever we're asking and receiving from Him, we get to know His voice that little bit better. So whenever He speaks, we don't have to ask, is that you, Lord? We know that it is Him who is speaking to us. I got old adage, I think I used it before. Before the mobile phones existed and we could see who it was was phoning us and we could decide whether we were going to answer before we answered it. We used to walk right into our halls to a corded phone, lift the phone, not knowing who was on the other end of it, and say hello. Sometimes we knew the person, sometimes we didn't. But often if it was someone who we knew really well, we recognized the voice whenever they said hello immediately, didn't we? We didn't have to ask our mum or our dad or, or our aunts or our uncles or our best friends, is that you? We knew their voice. Because we'd spent time with them, we have a relationship with them, an in-depth relationship with them, and that's exactly the same for Ananias and for us as disciples of Christ. If we want to know the Lord's voice, then we spend time with him. And so whenever the Lord spoke to Ananias, Ananias knew that it was him who was speaking. And so he didn't have to ask, is that you, Lord? The way Saul had to ask, who are you, Lord? Ananias already knew him. But Ananias' response to that is actually quite interesting. See, in verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. That's the moment where Ananias is going, (gasps) I've heard what you said, Lord, but I'm not sure I want to do that. Where he makes reasons or excuses not to do what he believes the Lord has now told him to do. I wonder, do you find yourself doing that? Preachers included as he asked that question, actually. And the answer for me is yes. Sometimes we're not sure 
Sometimes we haven't been able to discern whether it is the Lord that's speaking or actually sometimes the greater excuse that we push out is that we're afraid of what would happen. Whenever we hear that still, small voice, we sang about that earlier, not in the earthquake, wind or fire, but in the still, small voice of calm. Whenever we hear that still, small voice of calm speaking into our lives and asking us to do something that seems a little bit outrageous, like, seriously, Lord, Ananias is saying, you want me to go to Saul, the boy that whenever he finds out you're a Christian, he puts you in prison and then he stands back and he holds the coats of everybody else who's going to stone you. You want me to go and see him and tell him that he should become a Christian? You're mad, God. And it's good to express those things out, isn't it? But yet Ananias, that's exactly what he did. Because Ananias deep down knew that the Lord's ways are higher than our ways. That his plan is perfect and all his ways are just. See in verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. His obedience is the key. In the big things and in the small things. And sometimes whenever we hear that still small voice of the Lord, it may be something as simple as a face, a picture or an image of a face comes into our minds or someone's name drops into our conscious. And often we can just simply dismiss that and think, oh, I'm not sure why I was thinking about that person. But yet if we take the obedience to another level and we drop a little message or make a phone call or we call at the door, we find out that that individual has been praying and seeking an answer to something. And you find yourself in that moment being the answer to someone's prayers. If I ask for a show of hands in this moment, who here thinks that they are the answer to somebody's prayers today? We might tentatively put it up. But we're highly unlikely to. Because often we don't see ourselves like that. We don't have that view of ourselves that says the Lord could use me. Sometimes to do the strangest of things. Sometimes he could use other individuals to call us to do something and to be a part of something. Sometimes he can stop us in our tracks to enable us to understand and know that this is the right thing to do. I think I've shared this bit before. Many of you probably already do know it, but as I prayed about whether we were to take up the invitation to explore coming to be the rector of Deravolgi, as I was praying, I was driving through Belfast, and as I was praying, unaware of where I was, because I knew where I was coming from, where I was going to, but unaware of where I was in that moment, I said, Lord, that would need to be something where you stop me in my tracks and show me a sign. Because 
In that moment, somebody stepped off the footpath right onto the middle of the road, and I had to slam the brakes on and stop. And as I stopped, I remembered what I had just prayed. And as I looked around, the sign at the side of the road said, Dervolga Avenue. In that moment, I kind of went, okay, God, maybe there's something in this. And four years today, actually, I was instituted as director of this park. God stops us in our tracks sometimes. He does those big things that make us sit up and listen. But often it's in the small, quiet moments as we go about our daily business that in our acts of obedience, the Lord moves and works. Lives are changed. Churches are changed. And communities are transformed by these small acts of kindness. So the question for each of us today, the preacher included, is this. Do we need a moment of transformation from the Lord? Now, for some of us, that may well be that we need that moment of transformation where we recognize that Jesus is Lord and Savior and where we acknowledge that he is our Savior, where we come to faith, where we accept him as our Savior, where we are saved. There's lots of labels and languages that you can put around that. But that moment in our lives where we say, I can't do life on my own anymore. I understand and recognize that the cross is everything and that you died for me, that I might be free. And maybe for some of us, that is what we need to do in our transformation moment today, like Saul. For others, it will be that moment like Ananias where we need to transform those quiet spaces so that we can hear what the Lord is asking us to do. So we can play our part, as I often say, that little piece of a jigsaw that makes up a big picture that shows us who we are and what God has called us to. And it all starts with a simple act of obedience. If we had a read on in that passage today, we find these words in verse 23. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. That's Saul. They remember, he went to Damascus to kill the followers of Jesus. But now some of the Jews are conspiring to kill him. But Saul learned their plan. Day and night they kept close watch at the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Saul was the one who came to persecute. But in the space of a couple of days, he finds himself being the one persecuted. Because of a transformation that happens in him and through him. And in that moment, the rest of the world begins to see who Jesus is. Saul is becoming Paul. And that's the key to the gospel story. We don't change our names. James doesn't become another name. You know, there's probably many names that you have for me. But James becomes a better version of James because of what God is doing in him and through him. If I will be obedient, if I will listen and if I will step out, and step up. 
And if we each were doing that, can you imagine the transformation that could happen in this church and in this community? The chaos, the havoc that we could reap in Jesus' name. The change, the transformation, the questions that people might have in saying, why are you doing what you're doing? And it all begins with an act of obedience. It's not always the blinding, flashing light. Quite often it is the slow, step-at-a-time journey. But it all begins with that first step of obedience and that first step of transformation. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us. That you hold the key to our future and what our future looks like. You already know it, for your plans are to prosper and not to harm. You know who we are because you knit us together in our mother's wombs and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so your ways are higher than our ways, Lord. So in this moment, may we attune our ears and our hearts to your voice. May we set a time aside, aside time for places of solitude and quietness to spend time with you, to hear from you, to tune our ears and attend our hearts to your voice. So we don't have to ask, is that you, Lord? rather stepping in obedience to see what it is that you will have us do. We pray these precious things in and through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We close today with some words from the, the book of Romans, um, chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so as you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the blessing of God Almighty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless upon each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.